A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is the Unplayable Podcast, Sam Ferris here, and on today's episode, we break down the opening round of the Marsh Sheffield Shield with our reporter in the Adelaide Hub, Lewis Cameron, and we hear from Queensland opener Joe Burns after the Bulls pulled off a last gas win over Tasmania. Just a quick reminder to all our listeners, if you haven't already, subscribe to the Scoop Cricket Podcast for everything you need to know about the women's game. It's a blockbuster couple of weeks coming up on the Scoop as we head into the WBBL season. So be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Right, Lewis, welcome, mate. We've been fortunate enough to have the Australian and New Zealand women's teams play, and now we've seen the men back in action on Aussie soil. How good was the opening round of the Marsh Sheffield Shield? G'day, Sam. Yeah, thanks for having me again, mate. It, um, it really couldn't have started the men's domestic season, or the domestic season overall, actually, because the, the girls haven't got underway either yet. Um, it couldn't have started any better. I mean, two final session finishes uh, at, you know, two, what are two club grounds in Adelaide? Um, a lot of credit should go to uh, the curators for preparing two great pitches, I'd say, at, at this time of the year in Adelaide. Yeah, all right. Well, let's go around those grounds, which are in Adelaide, and recap the results in round one. At Karen Rolton Oval, Western Australia beat South Australia by 205 runs. Ashton Agar was named player of the match for his unbeaten 114 and 5 for 103 in the Redbacks' first innings, while the match also saw hundreds to Josh Inglis, Jake Weatherald, and Evergreen WA captain Sean Marsh. The Redbacks dug in on day four, fighting for a draw. But it was WA's big quicks that got the job done to win very late in the day. Not too far away at Gladys Elphick Park, Queensland defeated Tasmania by an innings and 59 runs. Like Agar, Michael Nisa achieved the rare feat of scoring a century and taking a five-wicket haul in the same match. Marnus Labashain picked up where he left off against the Red Bull last summer with 167 before Mitch Swepson spun the balls to victory late on day four to secure the win. Lou, before we recap all the action, let's hear from Queensland opener Joe Burns in the wake of the Bulls win over the Tigers. Joe Burns, fresh from that dramatic win against Tasmania. Burnsy, mate, what was it like in that final hour? Yeah, it was a um, fantastic game, um, obviously, and we, we always set ourselves to win late on day four, so it's a perfect game for us. It's, you know, everything went to plan in that final hour. Um, quite hectic but I think we're really confident and really um, comfortable out there you know we're, we're right where we wanted to be and to see Swepo um, get the, the last wicket was a, a great feeling. What was the feeling out there were you always confident that uh, the win was there for the taking? Yeah we were um, absolutely it, it, if, if anything we it, it probably took longer than what we first anticipated but um, you know, the, the Tassies did make it really tough for us. They, they batted well um, on a day four wicket, but we got a lot of confidence in Swepo in those situations. We chucked him the ball. We know he's going to get the job done. And um, Look, he, he's been bowling the house down all winter, um, and it's great to see him bowl, not, not only well late on day four, but throughout the entire game. He, 
seemed to, to land just about every um, different delivery he's got. So it's great signs for our team. Um, everyone played a really important role and it's just great to, you know, t- kick off the season in such a good, um, in, in such a good way. How good was it saying, was it up to eight fielders around the bat there? That's real proper first-class cricket, isn't it? Yeah, it, it felt like change room cricket, to be honest. It's, <laughs> um, it, it's probably what first-class cricket in Australia needed. Um, the, the wickets the last few years in shield cricket with the Duke's balls, um, especially, you know, you play at places like the Gabbard at Bell Reeve where some games are over in two days and it's just a shootout really for the quicks. Um, to... to you know, have those moments where everyone's around the bat and the team's hanging on to the draw. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, bring your spinners into the game and for the batters to be exposed to the different situations that they, they haven't experienced the last few years. It, it's just great for the development of everyone and, um, you know, looking to the next level as well. Um, you, you find yourselves in, in those sorts of situations in test matches. So um, to, to see someone like Swepo um, stand up in that situation and get us to win, it's fantastic for everyone. Swepson takes four wickets. Marnus Labashane gets a vital wicket as well. And even Matt Renshaw got a bowl. Joe, what are you doing wrong to Usman Kawaja not to get a run these days? Mate, I'm more than happy <laughs> at not bowling. Um, mate, I, I only need to bowl in Big Bash, I think. But um, Look, we, we've got a really well-rounded team. Um, you know, to, to have Marnus and, and Renners there, who are very good bowlers, um, to go with Swepo, it's um, a really well-rounded attack. And you know, the, the less overs I'm even thought about bowling, uh, the happier I am, and I'm sure the happier our coach and captain are as well. Well, Manus took that, that vital wicket, but he also got 100 uh, earlier on in the match. How impressive has he been? And it just looks like he's picked up from where he left off in the test team. Oh, mate, it's un- unbelievable. It's um, great signs at, at this stage of the season um, to see him come out in the first Red Bull innings of the season to make 100. He's just flying and um, he's working really hard. He's making a lot of runs, um, and he's setting himself up beautifully for for the season for Queensland and for Australia. So it's really exciting times for for Marnus, and not only that, but the you know the work ethic rubs off onto everyone else on the, in the team as well. So he's really um, setting a culture for our team for for guys to work hard, um, not only in this playing eleven, but the young guys in our group at Queensland and back home. Um, it's just, just great to, to have him around at the moment. He loves having a chat, does Marnus. Was he given uh, Tim Payne, his test captain, a few words of advice out there on day four? I think he was, actually. I, I, I don't listen to Marnus too much when we're out on the field, but I think he was <laughs> saying that Payne had some mud on his shoes or something. So I think he was trying to get him to paint his head. Um, but look, he, he's always good fun. He's always got good humour out there. He scored a, uh, 167, Michael Nisa also scored his maiden first-class 100, and he took a five-wicket haul. Uh, he's been knocking on the door of international cricket for a little while now. Joe, what kind of impact would Michael make if he got a run in that test team? Oh, look, he's coming off the perfect game, five for an 100. Um, the, the thing with Ness is that, look, he's ready to go if an opportunity opens up. Um, he's worked his backside off to, to be in this position in, in his career. Um, and all, all he can do is make sure he's performing, and he knows that he's a elite level performer for us at Queensland and I'm sure if there's any opportunities in the Australian test team, the selectors will be you know, jumping to, to get him in there and, and see what he can do and um, look it's, I keep saying it, it's just really exciting seeing these guys um, play such high level cricket and you know, Ness is just he's, he's ready to go. 
how much would a bowler like Xavier Bartlett have learned off a guy like Michael Nisa because he started on day four as well? They, they actually play for the same club as well. Um, yeah. And it's the same with, same with Martin. It's having guys like Ness, high-quality high people, high-quality cricketers around our group, um, and to, to set the, the culture and um, to, to teach guys the fundamentals of the game, pass on their experience, it's so valuable. Um, and then to, like you say, to be on the same field and see how they go about it. The constant conversations that we have, we've talked about as a group, how we want to have a lot of cricket conversations and pass pass on a lot of knowledge to each other about the game, um, just to continue continue to develop our entire squad. Um, guys like Ness play such a huge role in that. And for guys like uh, Xavier to come in and, and bowl really well, I'm sure he's learning as much as he can off, off Ness. Joe, it's been a long pre-season for all the issues we know about. How did it feel being back out there playing cricket? It was so much fun. Oh, you know, you couldn't wipe the smile off my face. Um, even facing Sids and Birdie um, late in the day on day one, um, it's just nice to be outdoors playing something we love with your mates um, and enjoying a really good contest against good cricketers. You know, first-class cricket is such a, such a challenge, but it's just so enjoyable. So, um it's really, I think, changed the perspective of a lot of our players um, and made them really appreciative for the opportunity that we that we have. Has it changed your perspective? Absolutely. Um, look, the, the game of cricket at times can, can feel like a grind, um, especially when the schedule feels like you're, you're playing 24-7, uh, 365 days a year. But, you know, you take that away and you realise how much you, you miss the, the good and the bad days and the travel days and being... Knowing the hotels with the, the group of boys, just having a good time. It's the best years of your life, really. So you don't want to be spending those times at home in, in lockdown. You want to be on the road, wherever it is, and, and, and playing the game that you that you love. I'll tell you what, six or seven months out from your last game and you got a seed by Peter Siddle, uh, not a bad one to get. Yeah, it's a little bit uh, frustrating because I, I knew he was trying to bowl that ball. So... Um, you know, live and learn um, on to the next game. And um, look, I, I feel like I'm hitting the ball really well. From We, we had a really good lead-up in club cricket. I've uh, got a few scores under my belt. So just looking forward to our next game now with Queensland. Yeah, when's that going to be? Because you guys are heading home, right? I think we've, we're heading home for a little bit of training, um, a little bit of golf and a little bit of premier cricket. Uh, and I think the next game at this stage is about 18 days away. So we just have to make sure that we... Um, keep riding this momentum that we've picked up from round one um, into what will be round three now. So that's a challenge for our group. I was going to say, it must be one of the real focus points for every Shield side this summer that you're going to have to be adaptable because things are going to change in really quick fashion. Yeah, we've talked about that as a group. I think the special thing for our team at the moment is we've got so many guys um, who are really in their primes, you know, in their prime years as as cricketers and performers, so it's just about um, not only being adaptable, but just making sure that we're we're ready to, to play our best cricket because our best cricket is going to win a lot of games for Queensland. So that's just a you know a, a, a mental thing for our group. Um, control the controllables. I know it's a cliche, but that's all we can do. Yeah. What was the vibe out there like? Was it much different from a regular Sheffield Shield game? Um, oh, it's a little bit different, obviously, playing at um, Park Twenty Five compared to a you know, like a test ground like Adelaide Oval. Um, but uh, honestly, I, I think the, 
the, the layoff and being in lockdown, you just have to you, you play anywhere. You now we'll, we'll play Tassie in indoor cricket if we could. Um, we're, we're just happy to be, um, you know, celebrating wickets, celebrating runs, and um, you know, you come come home from a, a day's play and you sit around and talk about the day. Uh, we've been jumping in the ocean down here, which has been freezing, but <laughs> good uh, team bonding exercise. So it's just fun to. Um, be around each other and enjoying this game. You guys get to go home, but what's the uh, the time in the hub been like? Even though it's been a, a short trip so far, but what was the time in the hub uh, in Adelaide like? Yeah, it's not too bad. Um, I think you kind of come into it a little bit unknown and probably anticipating the worst. But to be honest, mate, for someone like me, I, I enjoy just staying in my hotel room <laughs> anyway. So it felt like a normal normal uh, trip away, but. Um, the, the boys, there's just some subtle things like eating at uh, restaurants, just eating outdoors and wearing your mask when you go into shops. So little things that we'll get used to um, over the coming weeks and it's not too much of a problem at all. I think maybe by the end of the summer it might be a little bit of a, a drag at times, but just the things you got to do these days, I guess, to, to make sure we can play cricket. Absolutely. And have you got one eye on Indians coming out this summer? Um, I, I think I did during the winter. Uh, just working on some plans, going through their bowlers and how they may bowl and just some skills that I want to work on and make sure that I'm really sharp for. But now that we're playing games, you, you really do focus on the next game in front of you and your next training session and, and, and just play whatever game you have coming up. You know, my mind's already shifted to this weekend. We, we go Saturday and Sunday playing club cricket. So um, but that's how I kind of prepare for, for cricket, just focusing on the next match and take it game from game by game. All right, Joe. Thanks for chatting to us, mate, and all the best. Thanks, Sam. Appreciate it, mate. Lou, let's use some categories to break down the opening round of the Marsh Sheffield Shield, starting with the best knock. Yeah, I mean it's a hard one. There were so many. Uh, I mean, the, the game in um, the game at uh, Karen Rotten Oval itself had uh, four centuries, I think it was in the end. So, um, and then you've obviously had Marnus and Michael Nisa make centuries at um, Gladys Elphick Park. Uh, just around the corner. So it was a tough one. I'd, I'd probably say in hindsight, it's hard to split Agar and Josh Inglis's innings um, apart, but maybe just Inglis because he, he ended up with a few more runs um, and he just went absolutely bananas right at the end of his innings. I think it was like 38 off 12 balls or something right at the end and ended up making his maiden first class 100 into a, a big 150 uh a big one, 53 it was, not out. So I think he just gets the, the chocolates for the best knock over Agar, who he put on a big partnership with in that game, and Michael Nisa, who, um, who batted really well as well over at the other ground. How good Sean Marsh going? How old is he now? 50. Got his 29th first class 100. Uh, it was a runner ball too, and his son was watching it on the iPad. It's pretty cute scenes there. Uh, geez, Sean Marsh, he was 10 years younger, he'd be in the test team, but still producing the runs. He's not bad, that, that Marsh bloke. I wonder if the, uh, the national selectors will, will have a look at him. Um, <laughs> I, I think think maybe those days are done, but, um, gee, he's just still so good, especially at Shields level. He's just um, – and he's lovely to watch. He's just – I mean, everything about his, about his style when he gets going. Uh, we've seen it for so long. We've been frustrated with him for so long. But, you know, yet, yet again, he, it was so effortless um, seemingly from him, um, you know, just to, to get it so quickly and um, – 
it was interesting uh, this morning on the morning of day four. He um, he batted on for another three overs when they were already 360 ahead, which I found interesting. I thought you know just you're 360 ahead. You know you got some good bowlers. Get South Australia in there, but um, you know it proved that they didn't need that extra the extra runs. But um, you know I, I think yeah, he timed it perfectly. How about the best with the ball? A uh, couple of fifers throughout the, the opening round, but who was the, the best bowler? Yeah, it's hard to go past Nisa on that first day um, for Queensland. I think he really set things up. Um, bowling Tasmania out for only 250, just set up that game perfectly uh, for Queensland to only bat once. Um, and for Nisa to only bat once, uh, we know he made the 100. Um, he just dismantled the Tassie, Tassie top order, uh, took five for 32. I think it's probably also worth mentioning Xavier Bartlett, who ended up with seven wickets for the match uh, himself. Um, in only, it, it, he's only played a handful of first-class games and Buzz um, McQuaid was really big on him in the lead-up to this game, saying he's, he's really improved and um, is really looking good. If you haven't, if you, the viewers, uh, if the listeners mm. haven't um, seen it yet, the ball... Uh, Bartlett bowled to captain the Australian Test captain Tim Payne is just uh, pure fast bowling um, gold. So take a look at that if you haven't already. We love a Saturday seed, Lou, on cricket.com.au, and I'm sure that delivery will feature very shortly. Got to give a shout out to Mitch Swepson. So he only took the four wickets, and when I say only, but he took four wickets in the second innings to spin Queensland to victory. Uh, you had him as your leading wicket taker after the first four rounds, ended up with five in that match, but most importantly got Queensland the win. Yeah, I mean, and especially in the first game of the bubble, I mean, you'd think that the pitches are only going to get better for spin as they keep playing on these same wickets. Um, they kind of get slowly get more and more worn. But yeah, his, his figures, 45.2 overs, 22 maidens, four for 66. I know a lot of that was, you know, guys just blocking and blocking and blocking. Um, but, you know, still you, you'd think the odd kind of drag down or, or full toss is still going to get hit for four. So he's he's bowled beautifully over there um, to spin him to victory. Yeah. All right. Our next category is called didn't see that coming. What's your didn't see that coming moment? Yeah, it was interesting. We were talking about this earlier. You suggested Bo Webster um, bowling medium pace. And yeah. I, I, I put you in your place because I actually wrote a story <laughs> about, um, I'm saying this very modestly, of course. Uh, I wrote a story. I spoke to um, Bo Webster um, a couple of months ago, uh, maybe July, August in, in the preseason down in Tasmania. And um, he told me he was working on his, his medium paces. He was sick of watching Jake Doran run in and bowling 105 kilometres little outswingers. Um, I didn't actually think he'd do it though. I thought, you know, he was just practicing it and he'd still bowl the off spin. So when I said, didn't see that coming, I actually didn't think he'd actually bowl seam up. You didn't think he'd have the guts to do it, yeah. He, um, well, he, he still did bowl off spin. I mean, they Tasmania yeah. didn't pick a spinner, and, and they might have regretted that actually. But um, so yeah, he still did bowl some some off spin as well as medium pace. But um, yeah, I, I wasn't sure whether he'd do it in, in this game. But um, but there you go. When you when you're 297 centimeters tall or whatever he is, um, <laughs> it, it makes sense to to put the same up, doesn't it? Well, anyway, what you didn't see that coming moment, if it's not Bo Webster. Uh, that's a good point. Yep. Uh, I mean, Lloyd Pope, I didn't see him. I, I, thought he, I thought he'd go well, but I didn't see him taking five wickets in the first innings of a, of a Sheffield Shield game, you know, in the first round. I think he was the first leg spinner in 50 years to, to do that. 
um, you know, just given how hard it is to mm. take wickets in the first innings as a as a leggy. He bowled some. He bowled you know a lot of poor balls. Well, let's let's not beat around the bush. He, he went um, he six went and at, over. Six yeah. and over was it? Yeah, in that in that first first innings, um, he probably struggled to control things as well in the second. Although you know things were things were pretty dire for South Australia at that point, but um, he bowled some really really good balls. Uh, in that first innings to WA, the one to Bancroft is just another one. If you haven't, if the viewers, if the listeners haven't uh, haven't seen it yet, um, get on the cricket.com.au live app and, and have a look because it's an absolute beauty that just kind of like swerves in from nowhere. Um, and he is speaking to him after play that day, uh, Pope. That is, he said that the most satisfying one was getting Cam Green out with a, another one that dipped in. Um, so some really promising signs signs for him. How good is it saying a couple of leggies bowling around in the shield ranks? We've got Pope, got Swepson, Manus Labashain again getting vital wickets. Uh, it's great to see. So we've got our didn't see that coming moment. Our did see that coming moment is Bo Webster. Any other moments that you saw or predicted? Uh, no, I'm not going to claim. I mean, Mitch Swepson off to a good start on the leading wicket takers front is is good sign. I'd forgot I'd made that prediction, Sam. So thanks for reminding me. Um, I think I think my other prediction was Peter Hanscom being a leading run scorer, and the fact that Victoria only played two games in the bubble might uh, put paid to that one. So uh, yeah, maybe that's maybe that's it. Um, that's it in terms of vindication for now. All right, stick with that one. How about our got to see that again moment? Yeah, there was a couple. I mean, apart from the ones I've already told you, your listeners to take a look at the app for. Um, Lance Morris took a really nice catch off Tom Cooper in the um, in the South Australian first innings, where he he caught it and he's kind of running back. He took it over his head and then tiptoed around the rope to stay in. And I thought that was a really um, clever piece of work for a debutant to kind of show that that level of composure was was pretty impressive. Tom Cooper also himself took a really good catch. Um, in that game uh, and f- funnily enough you know on that kind of theme of um, we normally associate like the tiptoeing catches around the boundary in, in the uh, with the big bash right but um, there was another one where Marnus uh, was running back I think it was a fine leg as well running back towards the rope um, and he's caught it kind of diving and then as he's kind of going towards the rope kind of like palmed it off or backhanded it to Mitch Swepson um, those look like uh, just judging by Marnus's reaction, it looked like some people down on the boundary there had suggested that it had actually gone over the line for six. But um, you know, there's no way he would have known. And I think the umpires probably made a good call in allowing it to stand. I reckon a moment you've got to see again is Cameron Gannon's run out. I was on mm. day four, fielding in the covers or cover point. Big fella in there. He's uh, die full length. Got the ballman backhanded it to the wicketkeeper, Inglis, who's whipped off the bales and uh, found a batter shot. Great athleticism for the tall, fast bowler. I'll tell you what, there's some pretty impressive fielders among these enormous guys who are like two metres tall. Bo Webster's a really good, he, I think he took the catch actually in um, off Marnus, so maybe not the, the best time to be getting around his fielding in this <laughs> particular round, but normally a really safe pair of hands. Um, Cameron Gannon normally fields in the gully as well. So, um, and I think Cameron Green, who's... Um, is about that height as well. He's, he's quite a handy fielder. So um, aren't the tall blokes not supposed to be able to field, Sam? That's what I thought, but now they're all becoming athletes or professionals. Uh, you know, you think of the Australian team. Mitch Stark is arguably the mm. best fielder in that team. He's very safe under the high ball, got a rocket arm. Uh, yeah, 
he's a good fielder. Another another tall, fast bowler. This doesn't really fit in our categories, but it was great to see Joel Paris back bowling. Uh, he looked good. He, he got the last wicket in that uh, WA win and just did it in that Joel Paris fashion, shaped the ball across, just wobbled across, got the edge, caught a slip. Uh, it's great to see him back. Uh, you've mentioned a few already, Lou, but what is the stat of the round? I mean, it's hard to go past um, Michael Nisa and Ashton Agar both taking, uh, completing their five-wicket haul 100 uh, in the same game double. I mean, it hadn't been done in a decade uh, no. before this round. And then these two games going on, you know, within not even 200 metres of each other. Um, and Nisa got to his 100 uh, and then about barely an hour later, Agar took his fifth wicket um, when his brother just kindly chipped the catch back to him um, over in, um, you know, just really close by. So that's that's really extraordinary that that happened and, and a really great sign for Australian cricket. We've spent so long trying to, um, trying to find all-rounders for the test team. I'm not sure if either of those guys are genuine top six batters at, at test level. I'm happy to be proven wrong if... Um, I think Michael Nisa has said, you know, his, the bowling workload he's got is just, um, you know, it just doesn't fit in with, with batting in the top six. But you never know if Agar keeps keeps going the way he is um, with his batting. Um, you never know what could happen. In the post-Tim Payne era, if the gloveman can be slightly more productive with the bat, you could see Agar being a fixture at number seven and perhaps the gloveman. Who would that be? It would either be Carey, I guess. He's probably next in line. He could be a top six batter. He could bat at six and maybe Agar at seven. And that's something yeah, to think potentially. About. Yeah, yeah, you really do need your keeper to be making a lot of runs. And Payne's record as a, as a batter compared to, a, you know, uh, a lot of Australian wing keepers is, is, is pretty good. But, yeah, I don't think he particularly wants to – he's putting his hand up to bat at six. So it probably does need a bit of a rejig. And Cam Green – Again, impressed in that round. He didn't get quite get 100, but 60 runs uh, in the match. Get him in there, Lou. I'm a big fan of Cameron Green. I think it's only a matter of time. A very level-headed um, young lad, but yeah, he just looks he just looks apart. And just the way he, um, I'm always impressed by the way he plays off his legs um, for such a tall guy. I know I, I really do like the tall guys. Um, so I'll stop, I'll try to stop going on about him and find some some of the shorter ones. Josh Inglis is very short. He did very well too. And I'm a big fan of him, but yeah, Cam Green um, going really well. Uh, good start to the season for him. Maybe uh, Inglis is snapping at the heels of Kerry as Tim Payne's replacement in the test side. You never know, uh, but it's good to know that you've got a type blue. So we'll keep that in mind <laughs> moving forward. Uh, how about a conditions report, Lou? If you get two four day matches that finish in the final session, you have to think the pitchers played Pretty well. Yeah, really well. A lot of um, a lot of conjecture about what things would be like. A um, bit of you know anxiety, I guess, from the players about how how things would go. But um, you know, these are these are ultimately club cricket grounds that they're playing on. Um, and for the curators to produce two wickets, um, you know, that get to the final session, I just reckon that's a fantastic effort in Adelaide. That, you know, it's not it's not Brisbane kind of weather where you've got um, the sun baking down and you can really get lots of um, lots of heat into those those pitches um, early in the year. I mean, it's only October here, um, so yeah, I think they've done a done a fantastic job. And gone that kind of conditions front. I think it was interesting. This round was was reasonably warm. I think temperatures were kind of 
you know, early twenties to today was, was probably the hottest, maybe about 20, 26 or so. Um, and, you know, play sweat, right. Which, um, which helps them swing the ball because they're allowed to use back sweat, um, and stomach sweat, but they're not allowed to use, uh, sweat from their head. Um, also live, of course, with um, with COVID restrictions. So I'm just wondering if if it's a slightly colder round for the next round of Shield games, which I think the early forecast suggested might be. Um, you know, if players aren't sweating as much, how are they going to get the ball to swing? Yeah, that was one of the issues raised after this round. Players finding it more challenging to shine the ball if you can't use forehead saliva, forehead sweat, uh, saliva, things like that. So you're right. That is going to have to be something. When did we ever get to the waxing? Did wax ever come into Remember the ICC looking into wax? Did that uh, get any legs, any traction? One of those kookaburra, I believe they were the ones developing some kind of some kind of wax uh, to yeah to put on the ball. I don't know about that. It seems a bit bit strange to me. Yeah. Are you gonna are you gonna have it in a little tin and one player's got it? What ear wax? Yeah, well, I mean that might be contagious as well. I don't know if there's, you can get COVID from from earwax. I, I mean, what's know. more disgusting, earwax or back sweat? That's a good question. We should put that out to our listeners. Tweet us at cricketcomau. Uh, what's more disgusting, back sweat or earwax? We'd love to know your thoughts. Uh, Joe Burns loved the pictures. He said that's what uh, Shield cricket needs because for a while there it was just a bit of a shootout, fast bowls would uh, get on those green tops, especially when they had the Jukes ball. So it's good to see the spinners come back into the game. You can want that bounce, don't you, Lou? Bat, ball, fast spin, the whole lot. It's always a good advert for, for four-day cricket when everyone's getting a good run. Uh, what's next? That's round one done of the Marsh Shepherdshire, but what can we expect? And already we've seen some changes. Yeah, so Sam, the, the fixture has changed a bit. I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting one. Victoria were a little bit concerned about how their, particularly their young fast bowlers were going to go after two weeks in a hotel room, which they're currently doing. I think they're a little over a week into their hotel quarantine at the moment. Um, so they're worried about how their young fast bowlers would go after you know doing that um, and having their training a, a little bit um, restricted while they're, while they're doing that. Um, so they are now only going to play two games in the bubble and they won't play until round three, uh, which means Queensland. Queensland are probably the ones who have been um, this has come out the the worst for them. They go after this really good win where they you know could have built up a bit of momentum. They now head home for two and a half weeks, and they'll presumably their players are going to go back and play club cricket over there. Yep. Um, so yeah, back in Brisbane, not playing until round three. Um, yeah, a bit of a blow for them. But I mean, it, it's so hard for you know really sympathise for people making the fixture at the moment. What do you what do you do with um you know, so many different elements of you know, quarantine and um, having an odd number of teams when Victoria aren't playing games. Um, I don't know what the what the best solution would be that that isn't what they've come up with. So um, we'll have to see how it kind of looks at the at the end of this little bubble. Round two set to kick off next Monday. Uh, what are you looking forward to most in round two, Lou? Yeah, so I'm really looking forward to seeing New South Wales play. I, I think um, the reigning champions, I mean, we haven't seen them in round one, um, particularly someone like Nathan Lyon, just seeing him back out there and, um, you know, what he's been potentially working on or added to his game over over the off-season is going to be really good. And, and they come up against a West Australian team that's, you know, looked really, really good in this in this first round. So 
um, I think, yeah, probably the biggest one is, is seeing a new team play. Yep, seeing New South Wales start their uh, title defence. That'll be fantastic. Lou, you've been fantastic. Thanks again for your time, mate. Your, uh, your insights are incredibly valuable and we thank you for them. Thank you, mate. So are yours. That's it for this week's episode of the Unplayable Podcast. We will be back next week. But until then, subscribe to The Scoop, which covers all things women's cricket. And if you're after live scores, breaking news and video highlights, head to cricket.com.au and the CA Live app.